Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you this evening. Um, if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, um, you know, it's so important uh, that we take the time to teach our children, to bring our children with us uh, to church and to do the wonderful things because they, that we need to do uh, because they're learning all over the place. I was having breakfast with uh, Monique and Brady and Kaylee uh, this morning, and Brady was telling us about a story uh, that he, he read in school about a culture around this time of the season. And uh, apparently that particular culture uh, stuffs their shoes with uh, carrots and grass and for the reindeer. Um, uh, so that when they fly in, they can take part in that and fly out. Well, Brady, for some reason, said uh, they stuff the shoes with carrots and weed. And so we had to conveniently let him know that, well, you really meant grass, right, Brady, not weed. And, uh, and so uh, um, uh, we said, let's not say that again. It's, it, it's, it's not weed, it's grass. Um, so at, at any rate, um, we have to watch very, very closely at what our children are learning and ensure that they're uh, learning the right thing in the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 4, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 7. The Bible teaches us. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Verse 15. All this is for your benefit, Paul says, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow in the glory of God. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For the next few moments, I ask you to study and focus with me on the subject, the church member of my dreams. The church member of my dreams. Paul, the writer of many of our New Testament books, gives us great insight into who we should be 
in the Lord, who we should be as Christians. Outwardly, he says here in, first, in 2 Corinthians, we, we are wasting away. But inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Well, it is that time of the year, Christmas and New Year's, just after Thanksgiving, where we are dreaming of many things in this season. Happy days, new gifts, what's to come, a new car, what gift is going to be under the tree. We're dreaming of a white Christmas and on and on. And so as we dream of the ideal Christian, the ideal church member, what do you see? Well, we don't have to guess because God answers that question for us in his scripture. In Paul's last letter written, he compassionately writes from a Roman prison, soon to be executed. Paul looks to pass the torch. His most intimate and moving of all of his letters, he offers in his last words some advice on what the ideal church member is, the ideal Christian. A man of deep faith, a man of undying love, a man of constant hope, of tenacious conviction, of profound insight, a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us God's word, to re recommit ourselves and to stand courageously for the truth, he tells us, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you would, in that book, turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. That book, 2 Timothy, Paul gives some guidance to our brother Timothy. Timothy chapter 2 is where we'll be, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. One of the first points of that ideal church member, the church member of my dreams, is someone that is strong as sons, Paul tells Timothy. Well, what is this grace? This grace is God's free and unmerited favor from sinful humanity. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in something, that is in Jesus Christ. So point number one, Paul says, the church member of my dreams is someone that is strong in Jesus Christ, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Point number two, look at verse two of chapter two of 2 Timothy. And then he says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Point number two, he says, be steadfast as soldiers. Soldiers have to understand that there is hardship before them. And so Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that he has to 
endure hardship like a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And then in verse 5, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, Paul tells Timothy he has to do so in order to receive the victor's crown, he must compete according to the rules. Point number three, the ideal church member is one that strives as an athlete and follows the rules if he wants the victor's crown. Verse six, Paul tells Timothy, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so the ideal church member we can learn from this is someone that sweats as a farmer, works hard, understands that there is labor involved in having a crop on the other end. So we know from this scripture just thus far, Paul has told Timothy to be strong as sons, to be steadfast as soldiers, to strive as athletes, to follow the rules, and to be willing to sweat and to work and to labor as a farmer. And then if you look further down in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I will endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. If you go on and look down in verse 15, if you would, the Bible tells us in 14 and 15, keep reminding them that of these things. Warn them before, God's, uh, before God against quarrel, quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. In verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is the idea that Paul leaves with Timothy, that he must be skilled as surgeons. Surgeons get lot, lots of training to understand that if they cut with a scaffold to the left or to the right by millimeters, centimeters, bad things can happen in life. People can die. But Paul tells Timothy here to be as skilled as a surgeon with the word of truth. And then if you look down in verse 24 of the scripture, in verse 20, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are of noble purposes and some for ignoble. Verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Be an instrument, Paul is teaching Timothy. In verse 22 and 23, he goes on, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. This is the idea. Paul tells Timothy to be submissive as servants. 
You see, we have a charge as his children to be humble in the work that we do, to be willing to serve in every way possible. And so we have what Paul says about the ideal church member. I'd invite you to turn with me back to the Old Testament scripture because the writer of Joshua gives us some advice on the, on the ideal church member. If you turn back with me to just the first nine verses of chapter one of Joshua, after Moses had died, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, <clears throat> and Joshua. After Moses had died, Joshua was left, after being an aide for many years to Moses, with where do we go from here? After wandering for 40 years in the desert, a new generation was ready, ready to enter Canaan. But first, God had to prepare Joshua and the nation by teaching them of the importance of being courageous and for having consistent faith. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 1. There are three lessons that come in just the first nine verses that talk to this ideal church member for us. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Well, what are you saying here? What, what, what's going on here? Point number one for us to take away tonight from just these first two verses. The Bible's teaching us to embrace change. The ideal church member has to be willing to change in life. The torch had been handed over from Moses to Joshua, and the people had been going through the desert for 40 years, and now it's time to cross over into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Verse 3, the Bible says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, in verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Point number two, the ideal church member not only understands that we must embrace change and change in our lives to align our lives to the gospel, but the ideal church member has to realize that God gives the resources. God supplies. He supplies every need that we have in life. And so for point number three, verse six of Joshua chapter one, the Bible says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to, those, to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law, my servant, Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, 
that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God we be, will be with you wherever you go. Point number three, just in those three verses alone, we see be strong and very courageous time and time again. Trust and obey. We as his children have to trust and obey. So we see these examples in both the Old and both the New Testament. The ideal church member is one that's strong as son, strong in the grace of of Jesus, steadfast as soldiers, striving as athletes, sweat, being willing to sweat as farmers, being skilled as surgeons, being sanitary as vessels, and being submissive as servants. He or she is also one that is, understands change in life, being repentant of heart, understanding that God gives resources in everything we do, and understands that we must trust and obey as his children. And so to end the lesson for this evening, back at 2 Corinthians, where we started, I offer you one small, quick, short story entitled, Get a Good Night's Sleep. Some 300 years ago, a statesman who had some responsibility for world affairs, he could not sleep at night. His wakeful servant saw the lighted candle in a master's bedroom. Knocking softly, he entered and found the man pacing the floor. When the disturbed servant asked what he could do, the statesman shook his head as he paced back and forth. It is the terrific problems of the world that keep me awake. You can do nothing for them, said the statesman. Sir, the humbled servant asked, who watched over the world before you came into it? Why, God, of course. And, sir, will God watch over the world after you've gone from it? The statesman said, certainly, he answered. Then, sir, why don't you let him watch over it just enough for you to get a good night's sleep? The statesman went to bed and slept. You see, Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 21 tells us, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life, so shall they be life unto thy soul, and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way securely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thy shalt not. Be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Let's all be servants of the Lord and rest easy as we sleep in Him and as we dream about the most important things in our life how to be aligned with the Scriptures. The lesson is yours tonight. Whatever your need may be, if it's to come in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, please come. If your need is for prayer or whatever it may be, as we together stand and sing, please come.